It's been a good week for us this last week. In fact, uh, I don't know if you recall our story last week that I shared during the sermon, but we talked a little bit about a flat tire uh, incident. And uh, if you missed some of that and some of what went on, you can catch that message from last week and some of what went on in our lives as we shared there and then took the challenge from the passage. But just so you know, that kind of continued. It was a theme for us going throughout. So like as my kids came home for fall break, we were out there for the week before, right? And then they got fall break, so they came back home. So as they were home over the weekend, Megan said, hey, just so you know, Dad, one of my tires is a little low. And right? I'm like, oh, no. You got to be kidding me, right? And so then, of course, being a good father, I completely forgot about it until like Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. as I'm getting ready to leave the house to come over here for a meeting to meet Steve Belzer, my head elder, as we have a meeting in the mornings on Tuesday. And so I'm getting ready to come over here, and I'm like, oh, forgot about Megan's car, and she's got to go back to school. So I went outside, and I checked the car tire, and as I went to the back rear tire, and I looked, it was really flat. Is this sounding familiar at all? It was like really flat. And so I ended up going back in. I'm like, yeah, we got to go pump that up with air. So I got Megan, and we drove over to the gas station, and I went to pump it. And as I went to pump it, there was a nail sticking out of the top of it so that you could see. Does this sound familiar? Like, and so there's a nail sticking out of it, and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. This thing is toast. I don't know. We're going to have to get it over. Now, at least this time, we were in our own hometown, so we just ran it over to Razor Automotive and dropped it off with them and said, hey, Doug, can you help us out? So it took about an hour or two, and he was able to get that tire replaced. Um, so, so far, both of our Toyotas have picked up some form of nail over there in Indiana. I think Indiana has something against Toyotas from Illinois. I don't know. And uh, so we ended up getting that thing fixed. Of course, Megan was not able to get back to school. She had a class that she had to miss. She was so bummed out. Not at all, really. <laughs> And uh, so she hung out an extra chunk of time with us and then actually went back to school much later than she originally had planned as we got that tire fixed. Actually, she had wanted to go for a bike ride, and since she went to go get on that bike to go for a ride, the tire was flat. What in the world, man? This is like three flat tires for us in one week and zero for 22 years. And um, so anyway, we have not gotten that one fixed yet. I don't even know what happened to that thing. So we'll get that figured out over time. But man, I'm just telling you this. Life is not so much about being in comfort. Like that is not the call that we have. And in, just hear me. We are not called to be in comfort. In fact, the call in the sermon today is called to be a comfort. We're called to be a comfort to others, not to be in comfort, but to be a comfort. Man, that is very different, okay? And you might go through some struggles along the way, but we have an opportunity to share with those around us and play a key role. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're in a series here called Fearless. We're walking through chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7 of 2 Corinthians, and it's all about how do we take a stand for our God um, where we will stand undaunted, fearless against whatever we face, may God get all the glory. That's what we're talking about, how to have a fearless walk with our king. And today we're talking very specifically how to live to be a comfort, not how to live to be in comfort, but how to live to be a comfort, all right? And uh, the first point here, live in a forgiving manner, not a bitter or envious one. Live in a forgiving manner not a bitter or envious one. We'll start out in verse 2 here of chapter 7. It says, Make room in your hearts for us, 
For we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. All right? So Paul starts out, make room in your hearts. Uh, in the original, this is like really saying, make room. And, and the word heart is implied there, make room. And it's really a tie back to chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, where he's like, we have widened our hearts for you. Now you widen our hearts, your hearts for us, right? It's a, hey man, we care about you. Make sure you're caring about us along the way. And uh, make room in your hearts. This is a statement about passion and compassion, a statement about caring along the way. Then he says, we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. Just so you know, in the original language, in the Greek, um, the order of words matters a ton. Like in the English, it goes subject, verb, object, right? Subject, verb, object, and you just run into that in order. And so you know in the English that this is the subject, it's the first thing you're running into, and that's kind of how it works. In the original language, you can jumble the words all up, put them anywhere you want, the endings tell you what role that word is playing. So now you can use the word order to emphasize something, okay? And so the Greek in the original does not say, we have wronged no one. In fact, it says, no one have we wronged. No one have we wronged. The emphasis is on no one. I'm telling you zero, right? That's what he's trying to get at. No one. It's not an exaggeration. It's not an approximation. No one. And uh, when he says, no one have we wronged, uh, he's like saying, just so you know, we have not been unjust, we have not been unrighteous, we have not hurt someone just being mean to them. That has not happened. We have not wronged anyone. In fact, he also says, we have uh, corrupted no one. No one have we corrupted. He's like, just so we're clear here, we have not destroyed another's moral fiber. We haven't dragged them down into doing what's wrong. We haven't been an example for them that is poor. We're not dragging them into things they shouldn't be a part of. That's not happening. We're making sure we lift them up and we set them up to be able to follow their God with all they've got. Man, we are not hurting the moral compass of those around us at all. And so we haven't done wrong to them and we haven't been a bad example or a corrupting example in any way. And then he says, and we haven't taken advantage of anyone. We haven't taken advantage of anyone. And specifically, like, we haven't exploited them. We haven't used lies and twists of words to get them to give me something. I haven't held back some truth so that they only know part of it, so that they'll give me something they shouldn't otherwise. Like, that's not what's happening. We're not shading the truth. We're not shading the events. We're not manipulating along the way. There is no exploitation. There is no taking advantage of. And uh, it's a really big deal. Paul's like, let's make this clear. Never cheated anyone, never twisted anyone up, and never hurt anyone in any way. I want that to be super clear. We love you guys, and we're caring for you with the best we've got. He says, I do not say this to condemn you, have you ever been in one of those moments where you're trying to explain yourself and you're like, look, here's where I stand. And the way it's coming off to the other person, they're like, oh, so it's all my fault, right? Like one of those conversations, that's kind of where Paul's at, where he's writing this and he's like, man, they're going to take this the wrong way. As I'm doing this, they're going to be like, oh, so you're justified. It must just be all us that's the problem, right? And he's like, I'm not saying that at all. This isn't to condemn you at all. 
I'm just letting you know how much I care about you, how much our hearts long for you. And uh, he said, I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts. We love you, and we want the best for you, and we long for you, right? That's what he's saying. May there be a sincere care that's taking place. And then he says, to die together and to live together. There's really not much more than that, right? To die together and to live together. Like, that's the whole of what we do in life. And he's like, just so we're clear, man, I will put my life on the line for you. I love you. And if it costs me that, then so be it. I will lay it down. My life for you. And man, if I can live my life out in a way that benefits you and blesses my God and glorifies him, praise God for that, okay? I'm going to celebrate that. I can't wait to put my life on the line for you, whatever the cost, whether it's in the dying or the living. That's what he says. I mean, let's make this super clear. Scripture, very clear on this. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are. And to be able to do both of those at the same time with extreme care and compassion. And uh, he's like, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. He's like, I'm super happy for what God's doing in your life as he's shaping your hearts. As this church, Corinth, is coming alive. It is awesome to see what's going on. And man, I'll tell you, it gets pretty easy for us to get wrapped up in one facet of the command and not the other. The two commands from Christ were love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And there are some where it's super easy for them to love the Lord their God. They're like, I get it. I wake up, I get on my knees, I'm worshiping him, I'm coming after him with all I've got. I'm super excited. Can't wait to celebrate him. And then when I'm done with that, I'm like, all right, world, look out. I'm coming in to correct all your bad thinking and your terrible behavior. And I'm going to, man, you will need to, right? And all of a sudden they come out with no love at all for the people next to them. They bring it to their God and then they're about done. Right? And then there's the others who love people like crazy. And they care so well and they bring it to caring for those around them really well. But they never get the worship nailed down. Man, the command is not pick one. Love the Lord your God or love your neighbor. It doesn't, everybody say it doesn't say that. It's both and. And so love the Lord your God, fully invested in, worshiping him with all you've got and caring for those around you. And Paul's like, man, I'm telling you, I'm ready to lay it on the line. I'm proud of all that God is doing in and through you. I'm boldly taking a stand for you. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do. He says, I am filled with comfort. And I'm telling you, when you're invested into ministry and you're pouring into someone's life, it does have high payoff to see them coming along in their walk with Christ. It does. It's awesome to be able to celebrate it. Like I said, being a part of Discover Harvest yesterday and, and seeing somebody come to trust Christ as Savior as a part of that process, that's a huge deal, man, that they understand and grasp the greatness of Christ. And her statement yesterday as we talked was, I'm just telling you, something's different now. Like in the last five minutes, something's different. It's changed right now. And uh, she was brought to tears and just a huge deal as she was going after her Christ. And it's a huge deal. Love to be a part of it. And Paul's like, man, I am filled with comfort over you and what's going on in the church at Corinth. 
love seeing what's happening in your lives. And then he says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And uh, those two words don't really often go together, right? Affliction and joy. Affliction and joy. Now, biblically, they align really well. The problem is when we start going through affliction, we start wondering and thinking more about ourselves. And we're like, this isn't fair, or why is it like this? Or we start to try to build our joy. We try to center it in the circumstance itself. And now all of a sudden, the affliction is tearing us down. Paul's like, no matter what the affliction, I have joy. Why? Because joy is best defined as that peace and that satisfaction that you have in your God. And please hear me, that never changes, right? To have this deep satisfaction in your God, no matter what the circumstance, that's a huge deal. And Paul's like, in the middle of the affliction, I'm just telling you this, joy overflowing. Because God is doing a work in me and God is doing a work in this world and I can't wait to see him celebrated. And so while it may be hard on me, I'm pleased to see God glorified in the midst. And uh, he's like, please hear me. Let's make sure that we're able to forgive along the way, that we can release along the way, that we live in a way where we're not getting even with, okay? And uh, so let me just ask you very pointedly, and how are you doing in making room in your hearts for those around you? Are you harboring a bitterness and a resentment an unwillingness to forgive on something? Are you looking to get even? And maybe you need to let that go. Maybe it needs a better conversation with that person to even make it clear. Maybe they have no idea that they've hurt you at all. And what needs to be happening that God might get the glory in the midst of you going after the forgiving? You know, Scripture's super clear. Satan has a job. His name actually means accuser or deceiver, depending on which name you go with, right? And Satan, he is out accusing and deceiving. He is attacking. Man, he, he approaches the throne room of God, and he simply says this, do you see what this one just did, this one you call son or daughter? Look at their behavior. Do you see the words they've just mouthed? Do you see the actions they've just gone through? That is wrong, right? Satan attacking us in the throne room, before God Almighty. Man, we hear of it, we see of it in Scripture, and please hear me. In uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we're also told, though, that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who stands on our behalf. And here's the deal, man. Satan stands up and he's like, do you see that? And Jesus Christ ends up standing up and saying, that sin is covered. Paid in full, man. Covered. Man, we have to grasp that. We have hope because our sin is covered. Hear me, what Satan's saying is not untrue. The sins that we're involved with, man, he's able to pick it out. And Christ is not standing up and trying to negate that. Hear me, when you end up typically having a defense attorney, his main line of defense is usually, Your Honor, we plead not guilty. Just so you know, that isn't what Christ is saying about us. He's like, guilty but paid by me, covered, forgiven, released. That is our hope, man. We can have victory in Jesus Christ and day by day, moment by moment, Christ on our behalf saying, that 
sin is covered, forgiven. All right. Now when you get wronged by someone else, are you more like Satan to that person or more like Christ to that person? Are you the accuser that brings the, do you see what they did? Look how wrong they were to me. Or are you on the, we need to get this resolved. I have been forgiven of so much and I long to forgive you. Man, we have a choice to make of what our behavior is going to be like and who we're going to model. And the more we make it about self, the more we follow after the model of Satan, not of Christ himself. And our job is to live in a forgiving manner. So let me ask you again. Do you have a circumstance or a situation where you're wrestling? You've been wronged deeply. You've been hurt badly. Maybe it's time to get with that person and have a talk with them where you long to be able to forgive and release it because you have been forgiven of much, so you forgive out. Or maybe you actually know of somebody who feels they've been wronged by you. Maybe it's time for you to get with them and apologize. Get it real. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I, I was wrong for this. And it needs to be cleared up right now. And I'm just telling you, at the end of the first service, we had somebody come up and they're like, I didn't want to come today. I was halfway here and we decided I wasn't going to come. I was going to turn around. And there were some things going on and it was getting hot in the car. You know what I'm talking about? You know how hard it is to get to church on Sunday mornings happy, right? It's not just me, right? Right? And you're, you've got the little ones and there's people crying and there's other people declaring this is the most unfair thing that's ever happened to them. And you're like, sit in the car and be quiet, right? And all those wars happen and then you get to the church and you're like, time to be happy. Right? And they were in one of those moments. And they had a pretty rough moment and they're like, it's time for me to do some apologizing. I was too rough with my family. And they were going out to get some things clear. Man, where are you at? Who do you need to talk with? What needs to be made apologies for that forgiveness can happen. Maybe you need to be saying sorry, and maybe they do. Man, get that resolution clear, okay? Forgiveness, it's a huge deal if you're going to live to be a comfort. Number two, seek to be someone's friend over the long haul, not just in the moment. Committed to truth and grace. Seek to be someone's friend over the long haul, not just in the moment. Committed to truth and grace. It says, uh, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. It says, For even when we came into Macedonia, just so you know on a map, Macedonia is a little above Greece, like in the Mediterranean waters, a little above Greece, and just a little bit around from there and down is where Israel is, okay? Macedonia. So it's a little bit of a ways away from Israel, and some travel going on. And he's like, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. Have you ever experienced that before? Where you're like, I am thoroughly exhausted. I am wiped out. And all the college students in here are like, yeah, you bet, man. And every time I've got an exam that's killing me, I feel that. And, right? and if you're a parent, maybe you've got young kids, you're like, oh, I've been so exhausted lately. And he's like, man, our body had no rest. He said, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. 
afflicted at every turn. And you feel like that? Or you're like, man, it seems like no matter which way I turn, this just keeps going wrong for me. Afflicted at every turn, circumstances that are going sideways, people that are not cool, they're being disrespectful or hurtful. And Paul's like, man, we felt that every moment we turned around in Macedonia. And, uh, fighting without and fear within. I love that phrase. I I'm not sure there could be a better description of our struggle in this world. As we start going through the hard circumstances, the hardships, it becomes a fighting without and it starts causing this thing inside where we're like, ah, what if? And those, those two words lead to fear outright. What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? But, oh no, what if? Right? And all of a sudden, the heavier pressing in of circumstance starts causing our fear to well up. And uh, man, this is how we walk through life. We're this fragile human being that partly has their act together and then all of a sudden the pressures of life cause our fears to rise and we react. And where there is high fear, there will be high control, okay? High fear equals high control. And Paul's just being honest with us. He's, this is an apostle here, man. And he's like, hey, just being real with you. And there was fighting without and there was fear within. I was gripped. It was hard. And uh, Fear. It's a very real everyday process. And I'll just tell you, this past week, we uh, got a phone call from my daughter, Alyssa, and uh, she was at school, Taylor, and, and uh, she was in a class, I don't know, some kind of health class, where they were supposed to be stretching. And uh, so, you know that thing where you, like, reach behind and you, like, connect your hands together, and you're supposed to kind of pull a little bit or something? So she, like, reached behind and was trying to connect her hands, got them connected, and all of a sudden, Pop! Something popped up in her high shoulder, and uh, she heard it, and then it swelled almost instantly. Can't move her arm very much, can't move it up above about this level without crying. It went on for several days, a couple of days, where we're talking to her a little bit here and there, and it's getting worse, if anything. And uh, we're trying to work things through. She's been icing it and taking Advil, different things like that. It's not really working. And it started getting worse and worse to the point where, like, I'll be real with you, man, I was getting pretty afraid. When you start hearing a pop and it's up in this shoulder area, who knows what could be going on, right? And so I'm like, oh man, we got to, so now I'm starting to Google stuff. Don't ever do that, right? That'll really mess you up. <laughs> so I'm Googling stuff and it's starting to get to me and I'm like, holy cow, she could have torn this apart. And so now I'm like, we got to get it addressed right now. So we call her, we're talking to her and we're like, do me a favor, it's time to get to a doctor. Well, it's Thursday night, okay? So we're like, we don't care, get to an ER, we're fine with it. This sounds pretty bad, babe. So get it checked, Okay. And uh, so she did. She ended up deciding to go to an ER. Now it's like, which one? I mean, it's not our hometown. We don't know anything, right? So we ended up calling my other daughter's roommate's mom. There's a connection for you. So we called them up, and we got all of them. We're like, where do we go? So she gave us the name of a hospital down in Muncie that was really good, and we sent her away. Half-hour drive. A couple of friends jumped in the car with her. They're driving down there with, and we're asking her to text and keep us informed of what's going on. And they got down there. They ended up taking some x-rays. Luckily, nothing has detached or anything like that, but it was a pretty bad stretch of a muscle. I'll leave it at that as the diagnosis, but it's going to hurt for a while, man. There was something about hearing that information that caused us to begin to release a little bit of the tension and fear. Like, I'm not kidding. I was ready to do the, we're getting in the car. We're going to Indiana. That's the end of it. We got to get this thing covered, man. What is going on? And uh, fears and afflictions and the pressure from without and the fears within, 
It's a daily, weekly, regular occurrence. Are you ready to handle that in a way where you can honor your God? Where you're able to set it in his hands and trust him and do what's wise in the process one step at a time. I like these statements here. It says, fighting without fear within, the next two words, but God. Man, please hear that. He's like, there was all this crud going on outside and there was all this nasty going on inside, but God. And that's where we need to be, man, in the middle of our struggles, but God. Often we are great experts on the problem and we forget to be an expert worshiper. And all of God's people said, okay, yes, these are my problems and circumstances, but God. And as we were able to celebrate that Alyssa had a couple of friends driving her, as we were able to celebrate a couple of things going on to protect her and the timing of it all, and man, God had his hand in the midst of it. It says, but God, who comforts the downcast. Did you know that? That when you're struggling, your God is right there with you. And his glory pouring in and him lifting up and Holy Spirit praying on your behalf, Romans chapter 8, he is there for you. He loves you. And he cares about you. And he cares about what you're going through. You might be like, I don't know, man, it doesn't feel like that. This is devastating. This is heavy. This is hard. And uh, man, trust me in the middle of this. God is there for the downcast. Quote from scripture. But God who comforts the downcast he comforted us by the coming of Titus. I love that statement. He's like, just so we're super clear, I'm giving God the credit on being there. The timing was amazing when Titus came to visit. Just so you know, God is often going to comfort you through the provision of another human being, a friend to come alongside, to hurt with you, to care for you, to cry with you, to pray for you, to long for you, right? And he's like, Titus came in as a friend. And it was a huge deal as he showed up. The comfort that came by Titus coming, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. He's like, just so we're clear, Titus was comforted by you guys as a church. And as you celebrated and as you lifted him up and cared for him, as you cared for God's glory in the midst of this, it became a comfort to me. I'm hearing about Titus being comforted by you. And that's a comfort. And then Titus is timing and showing up. That's a comfort. God, working in this world, if your statement is, the only way God can be a part of assigned the credit for the work is that it has to be purely separate from any other human being, that would not be a biblical position, okay? Other human beings involved in your life caring for you is God's provision. And... Uh, he says, yeah, it helped a ton to hear that Titus was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still the more. He's like, I'm just telling you, I am celebrating hugely all the work that God is doing. The work in Corinth as a church, the work in Titus as a man, the timing as he was provided up for me to help me. I love what God is doing, and I am celebrating and rejoicing in the midst of it. May God get all the glory. He said, so that I rejoiced still the more. And may we find hope in this world, not just by ignoring problems, 
but by seeing God's actual provision into the problem. And all of God's people said, it's a huge deal. And uh, he says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. He wrote a letter to challenge. He had to bring some hard words. And he was like, here's some things you need to go after. And, and there were words to the church at Corinth correcting them. And as he writ, wrote that letter of challenge, you got to understand these guys are like, oh, a letter from Paul. And they open it up. And then it's like a huge list of all the things they need to fix. Right? And they're like, I don't really like that guy, Paul. Right? That's kind of what was going on. They were speaking against him. They weren't real happy with him. They didn't like the challenges. And Paul was like, yeah, I was kind of grieved, man. I regretted that I had to write the letter. And he said, I do not regret it, but I did regret it. Have you ever been in one of those moments? As I look back on it now, it's a good thing that, right? Have you ever been in one of those moments? But in it, you're like, oh, I can't stand how this is going down. And a parents, if you're having to have that tougher word with your kids, or, or maybe you're a friend and you know that there is something going wrong, and somebody needs to hear a tougher word. And you'd rather just be nice, invite them over for some pizza and be done with it. But instead, you know there's some tough words that have to be talked about. And lovingly, and gently, and carefully, but truthfully, bringing what they need to hear because you care for their soul. That's what Paul was doing. He was bringing that hard word where he was saying, I love you, and I care about you. And I'm just telling you, I long for you to be able to get this, though I did not regret it, um, or though I did regret it. There was a moment where Paul did regret because he didn't like the way it was going down. It says, uh, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. I see that the letter grieved you just for a little bit. And it wasn't that Paul stopped grieving because they were like short on their grief. They're like, oh, woe is us. Oh, never mind. Forget it. Let's blow it off. It wasn't that. Everybody say not that. Like, well, how do you know? Well, we just keep reading. That's how we know, right? And uh, he says, for I see the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As, I, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. The transition is what the celebration was. That's a huge deal. Grieved into repenting. I remember the first time I was ever introduced to this concept. It was delivered to me by the senior pastor up at Harvest Naperville. We'll let that sit. Uh, by uh, my pastor up at Harvest Naperville. And um, I, I was up there on staff. Actually, I wasn't even on staff yet when this happened. And an event occurred where uh, Ron's statement was, my goal is to be their friend five years from now, not five minutes from now. And that's what I have to keep in mind because they're not real happy with the challenge we have to make right now. But it is biblical, it is God-honoring, and it does need to happen. And so my goal is that five years from now, we can look back and laugh and see some huge work of God in it. Five years from now, I long to be the friend that this is all going for. See, if we go for the instantaneous in the moment, do they like me, then we'll end up with all these moments of regret because they seem to be standing against me. I had to say the hard word and they didn't like it kind of thing. And like, hear me, if we're just mean with our words, that's something we have to fix. But if it's something they need to hear and some love needs to come alongside and you're bringing the gentleness to say, I love you too much to let this go, this needs to be addressed, right? And that's sincere. And the goal needs to be not in the next five minutes that we're friends. That's all about me. 
in the next five years, may we be friends. That's all about God and his glory and these people coming along. May God be glorified. And the repenting is what it all is. Turning from sin. Done with that. That's what we're longing for, is for them to get it, okay? And uh, he's like, hear me. Uh, for you felt a godly grief, all right? There's godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And we're going to see more of that next week. Godly sorrow, it leads to repentance, right? And worldly sorrow, it just leads to self-absorption. We're focusing on the pain that's caused us. In worldly sorrow, we're saying phrases like, I wish I didn't get caught. In godly sorrow, we're saying, I wish I had never done that. It's, it's horrifying to God and his glory. One wants God glorified. The other wants me off the hook, right? And he's like, I see a godly grief in the midst of this so that you suffered no loss through us. And to praise God for that. As he saw God working in this church, responding to a letter, Paul, he was living to be a comfort. And so, yes, there was forgiveness that he meted out. I'm not coming after you to get even. I haven't done anything wrong. And he also was willing to share the harder word, longing for them to get right with their God. Live to be a comfort. Not just in the next five minutes, but in the next five years, decades, may God get all the glory. Okay? That's what it looks like. And Lord, we need you. You are our advocate. We need a savior and a king. And all of God's people said, man, we are sinners in need of a savior. We have no hope but him. He stands on our behalf as advocate and cries out, that sin is covered. Praise be to God, man. We can live a life for our king where he is covering the cost of the sin, may we now meet out to those around us a call to a holiness that does Christ right. And it bring, brings us to our knees where we're living out that forgiving nature that we are so receiving from him. May his forgiveness become the model for us now forgiving those around us. And all of God's people said, live to be a comfort. Love the Lord your God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. We need our God.